Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 194. Today's big Bible question, what is the deal with the camel in the eye of the needle? Can rich people be saved or not? Well, hello, friends. Happy Thursday to you. How's everybody doing out there? Well, me? Thanks for asking. I'm a bit sore. I actually tore my hamstring climbing around on boulders yesterday, and I'm now feeling my age. I suppose I should stick to more age-appropriate activities like, you know, doing a daily Bible reading podcast. So, let's get on with that. Today's Bible readings are Joshua chapter 11, Psalms 144, Jeremiah 5, Gerontologists 4, and Matthew chapter 19. And one of those was fake. Our focus question comes from the end of Matthew 19, one of the more debated and discussed teachings of Jesus. Unfortunately, Many of the explanations that you have heard about this teaching of Jesus are grade A horse pucky. For instance, as we will soon learn, there was no camel gate or needle gate uh, or eye of the needle gate in Jerusalem that camels had to stoop down to get through or had to remove all the stuff from their back in order to get through. As for the other explanations, well, let's just go read the passage and then discuss it. Matthew chapter 19 Verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together let no one separate. Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? He told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. His disciples said to him, If the relationship of a man and his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. He responded, Not everyone can accept this saying, but only to those whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who are made by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, Leave the little children alone. Don't try to keep them from coming to me, because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After placing his hands on them, he went on from there. Then someone came up and asked him, "Mm, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him, There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Uh, Which ones? He asked him. Jesus answered, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. I have kept All of these, the young man told him, what do I still lack? If you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. 
Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were utterly astonished and asked, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter responded to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. So what will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So some people have struggled with this whole camel teaching of Jesus, and they've honestly sought to clarify it for him. Here's an example, word for word, of speculation on this passage that you can find this kind of speculation just all over the place. One person says, The interpretation that seems to make sense is this. The, quote, eye of the needle was indeed a narrow gateway into Jerusalem. Since camels were heavily loaded with goods and riders, they would need to be unloaded in order to pass through. Therefore, the analogy is that a rich man would have to similarly unload his material possessions in order to enter heaven. Well, the only issue, of course, with that explanation is there's no record anywhere of a needle gate or an eye of the needle gate or whatever in Jerusalem. And if there was, what idiot would take his camel through that when he you know, could go through another one of the gates and not have nearly that much trouble. The very first time that such a possibility was even mentioned was like 800 plus years after Jesus taught that saying in the 800s AD. No contemporary record exists pointing to the possibility of a needle gate, which seems to indicate that this explanation was, you know, sort of invented out of whole cloth. Now, there's another option here as well, And it has been mentioned as far back as the 200s, maybe earlier than that, by some early church fathers. And that is the fact that the Greek word for camel is pretty similar to the Aramaic word for thick rope. Well, two things on this. Number one, the New Testament was not written in Aramaic, but Greek. So that's not a terribly important consideration. Yes, there's a few Aramaic words in there but not many, and usually they're all kind of together in one place. But even more important, it's just as impossible for a thick rope to go through the eye of a needle as it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Neither one fit, and it's not even close, which is exactly the point that Jesus is making. It's impossible for the rich to be saved by their riches or efforts. It's also impossible for the rest of us to be saved by our riches or efforts. Now, I like how Michael Hoodman over at gotquestions.org explains the situation. The most likely explanation is that Jesus was using hyperbole, a figure of speech that exaggerates for emphasis. Jesus used this technique at other times referring to a plank in one's eye in Matthew 7 and swallowing a camel in Matthew 23. Jesus' message is clear. It's impossible for anyone to be saved on his own merits. Since wealth was seen as proof of God's approval at the time, and maybe to a degree now, it was commonly taught by the rabbis that rich people were blessed by God and therefore the most likely candidates for heaven. Jesus, however, destroyed that notion and along with it the idea that anyone can earn eternal life. 
The disciples had the appropriate response to this startling statement. They were amazed and asked, Who then can be saved? In the next verse, if the wealthy among them, which included the super-spiritual Pharisees and scribes, were unworthy of heaven, what hope was there for a poor man? Well, Jesus' answer is the basis of the gospel. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Men are saved through God's gifts of mercy, grace, and faith, says Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Nothing we do earns salvation for us. It is the poor in spirit who inherit the kingdom of God. Those who recognize their spiritual poverty and their utter inability to do anything to justify themselves to a holy God. The rich man so often is blind to his spiritual poverty because he is proud of his accomplishments and has contented himself with his wealth. He is as likely to humble himself before God as a camel is to crawl through the eye of a needle. So riches can be an advantage in many areas of life, to be sure, but in terms of admitting your need of salvation, your need of a savior, your utter inability to save yourself no matter what you try or how much you spend, being rich can be a decided disadvantage. This is, I believe, at least a part of what is Jesus is teaching us here with this illustration. So let's close with a little bit more wisdom on this topic from Brother Charles Spurgeon, who says, Into this statement, our Lord throws the full weight of his personality. He uses an expressive proverb about a camel, which means precisely what the words convey to the common reader. There's no sense in hunting up abstruse metaphors where the proverbial teaching is as plain as possible. Jesus would show that wealth is far more a hindrance than a help to those who would enter into the kingdom of God. In fact, such a hindrance as to render the matter practically impossible without divine interposition. A camel is not only large, but it has humps, and how can it go through so small an opening as the eye of a needle? It could not make such a passage except by a strange miracle. Nor can a rich man enter into the kingdom of God except by a marvel of grace. How few of the rich ever even hear the gospel, says Spurgeon. They're too great, too fine, too busy, too proud to regard the lowly preacher of the gospel of the poor. If, perchance, they do hear the heavenly message, they have not the necessities and tribulations which drive men from the present world to seek consolation in the world to come, and so they feel no need to accept Christ. Gold and the gospel seldom do agree. Those who are rich in this world, in the vast majority of instances, scorn to become subjects of the kingdom in which faith is riches and holiness is honor. Should the rich begin the divine life, how hard it is for them to persevere amid the cares, the luxuries, the temptations of a wealthy position. The difficulties are enormous when we think of the pride of life, the flattery of rank, the danger of power, the risk of carnal security. Yet, blessed be God, we have seen rich men become poor in spirit. We've seen camels go through this needle's eye, humps and all. We hope to see many more such miracles of almighty grace. Amen to that. Joshua chapter 11, verse 1. When King Jabin of Hazor heard this news, he was he sent a message to King Jobab of Medan, the kings of Shimron and Akshvah, and the kings to the north in the hill country, the Arabah south of Chinnereth, the Judean foothills and the slopes of Dor to the west, the Canaanites in the east and west, the Amorites, Hethites, Perizzites, and Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hivites at the foot of Mount Hermon in the land of Mizpah. They went out with all their armies, a multitude as numerous as the sand on the seashore, along with a vast number of horses and chariots. 
All these kings joined forces. They came and camped together at the waters of Merom to attack Israel. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for at this time tomorrow I will cause all of them to be killed before Israel. You are to hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. So Joshua and all his troops surprised them at the waters of Merom and attacked them. The Lord handed them over to Israel and they struck them down, pursuing them as far as greater Sidon and Mishrath. Foth Maim, and to the east as far as the valley of Mizpah. They struck them down, leaving no survivors. Joshua treated them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots. At that time, Joshua turned back, captured Hazor, and struck down its king with a sword, because Hazor had formerly been the leader of all these kingdoms. They struck down everything in it with a sword, completely destroying them. He left no one alive. Then he burned Hazor. Joshua captured all these kings in their cities and struck them down with a sword. He completely destroyed them, as Moses the Lord's servant had commanded. However, Israel did not burn any of the cities that stood on their mounds except Hazor, which Joshua buried. The Israelites plundered all the spoils and cattle of these cities for themselves, but they struck down every person with the sword until they had annihilated them, leaving no one alive. Just as the Lord had commanded his servant Moses, Moses commanded Joshua— This is what Joshua did, leaving nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So Joshua took all this land, the hill country, all the Negev, all the land of Goshen, the foothills, the Arabah, and the hill country of Israel with its foothills, from Mount Halak, which ascends to Seir, as far as Baal God in the valley of Lebanon at the foot of Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings and struck them down, putting them to death. Joshua waged war with all these kings for a long time. No city made peace with the Israelites except the Hivites who inhabited Gibeon. All of them were taken in battle, for it was the Lord's intention to harden their hearts so that they would engage Israel in battle, be completely destroyed without mercy, and be annihilated just as the Lord had commanded Moses. At that time, Joshua proceeded to exterminate the Anakim from the hill country, Hebron, Debir, Anab, all the hill country of Judah and of Israel. Joshua completely destroyed them with their cities. No Anakim were left in the land of the Israelites, except for some remaining in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. So Joshua took the entire land in keeping with all that the Lord had told Moses. Joshua then gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments. After this, the land had rest for more. Psalm 144 Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for battle and my fingers for warfare. He is my faithful love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer. He is my shield and I take refuge in him. He subdues my people under me. Lord, what is a human that you care for him, a son of man that you think of him? A human is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Lord, part your heavens and come down. Touch the mountains and they will smoke. Flash your lightning and scatter the foe. Shoot your arrows and rout them. Reach down from on high. Rescue me from deep water and set me free from the grasp of foreigners whose mouths speak lies, whose right hands are deceptive. God, I will sing a new song to you. I will play on a ten-stringed harp for you. The one who gives victory to kings, who frees his servant David from the deadly sword. Set me free and rescue me from foreigners whose mouths speak lies, whose right hands are deceptive. 
Then our sons will be like plants nurtured in their youth, our daughters like corner pillars that are carved in the palace style. Our storehouses will be full, supplying all kinds of produce. Our flocks will increase by thousands and tens of thousands in our open fields. Our cattle will be well fed. There will be no breach in the walls, no going into captivity, and no cry of lament in our public squares. Happy are the people with such blessings. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1. Roam through the streets of Jerusalem. Investigate. Search in her squares. If you find one person, any who acts justly, who pursues faithfulness, then I will forgive her. When they say, as the Lord lives, they are swearing falsely. Lord, don't your eyes look for faithfulness? You've struck them, but they felt no pain. You finished them off, but they refused to accept discipline. They made their faces harder than rock, and they refused to return. Then I thought, they are just the poor. They have been foolish, for they don't understand the way of the Lord. The justice of their God. I will go to the powerful and speak to them. Surely they know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. However, these also had broken the yoke and torn off the chains. Therefore, a lion from the forest will strike them down. A wolf from arid plains will ravage them. A leopard stalks their cities. Anyone who leaves them will be torn to pieces because their rebellious acts are many, their unfaithful deeds numerous. Why should I forgive you? Your children have abandoned me and sworn by those who are not gods. I satisfied their needs, yet they committed adultery. They gashed themselves at the prostitute's house. They are well-fed, eager stallions, each weighing after, neighing after someone else's wife. Should I not punish them for these things? This is the Lord's declaration. Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? Go up among her vineyard terraces and destroy them, but do not finish them off. Prune away her shoots, for they do not belong to the Lord. They, the house of Israel and the house of Judah, have dealt very treacherously with me. This is the Lord's declaration. They have contradicted the Lord and insisted it won't happen. Harm won't come to us. We won't see sword or famine. The prophets become only wind, for the Lord's word is not in them. This will, in fact, happen to them. Therefore, this is what the Lord God of armies says. Because you have spoken this word, I am going to make my words become fire in your mouth. These people are the wood and the fire will consume them. I am about to bring a nation from far away against you, house of Israel. This is the Lord's declaration. It is an established nation, an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know and whose speech you do not understand. Their quiver is like an open grave. They are all warriors. They will consume your harvest and your food. They will consume your sons and your daughters. They will consume your flocks and your herds. They will consume your vines and your fig trees. With the sword, they will destroy your fortified cities in which you trust. But even in those days, this is the Lord's declaration, I will not finish you off. When people ask, for what offense has the Lord our God done all these things to us? You will respond to them, just as you abandoned me and served foreign gods in your land, so you will serve strangers in a land that is not yours. Declare this in the house of Jacob. Proclaim it in Judah, saying, Hear this, you foolish and senseless people. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Do you not fear me? This is the Lord's declaration. Do you not tremble before me? The one who set the sand is the boundary of the sea, an enduring barrier that it cannot cross. The waves surge, but they cannot prevail. They roar, but cannot pass over it. But these people have stubborn and rebellious hearts. They've turned aside and have gone away. 
They have not said to themselves, Let's fear the Lord our God who gives the seasonal rains both autumn and spring, who guarantees to us the fixed weeks of the harvest. Your guilty acts have diverted these things from you. Your sins have withheld my bounty from you. For wicked men live among my people. They watch like hunters lying in wait. They set a trap. They catch men like a cage full of birds. So their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, they have grown powerful and rich. They have become fat and sleek. They have also excelled in evil matters. They have not taken up cases such as the case of the fatherless so they might prosper. And they have not defended the rights of the needy. Should I not punish them for these things? This is the Lord's declaration. Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? An appalling, horrible thing has taken place in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own authority. My people love it like this, but what will you do at the end of it? Powerful question from Jeremiah. Lord, let us walk in your holiness and bless your name. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.